What a glorious day. Wasn't that a great song, great encouragement, great testimony? Uh, it's just good. I love following our worship leaders because they're helping us remind ourselves of what's true, what's good and right. So uh, awesome, awesome time of worship. Well, we are kicking off a new series today and uh, I guess Jeff and I, I don't know if we really talked about this, but I'd say we're about as excited as we've ever been. And obviously we love teaching the Bible and going through God's word. Um, but we just have, we just have kind of had a sense that God is doing something really special in our church right now. We've been growing and there's lots of challenges with that. Uh, but what a great opportunity for us as a church. So I get to uh, kick this off today. And I want, uh, if you would, I want you to imagine with me, and this is always kind of hard when you come to church on Sunday morning and there's people all over the place, and, but I want you to imagine that you and I are sitting down over a, a cup of coffee or tea or whatever your favorite beverage is. And uh, we're just catching up and we've had some history together. We know each other, so it's, it's comfortable. It's not awkward. Um, and as I often do when I sit down over coffee with somebody, I'll just say, hey, how's it going? And I really mean that. That's sincere. I really want to know, how's life? What's going on? Where are you right now? And uh, I'm not going to settle for fine, right? There's a whole lot more to life than just fine or, or not fine. And I want to invite you as we're having this imaginary conversation, I want you to drop all the facades, all the posturing, all of the need to uh, impress or create some kind of image like, let's be just gut-level honest. How's it going? How would you even decide what to say? What criteria would you use? Like, how could it be like awesome one day and horrible another? What, what, kind, of, what kind of framework do you have in place to answer that question? How's it going? You might have heard uh, somewhere along the way uh, that Jesus came to secure life for you and for me. And not just like regular old life. He says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. So, so how's it going? Would you say life for me right now is abundant? And here's what that word means. It means like overflowing to the full, saturated, way beyond necessity, super abundant blessing in terms of salvation. It is God's favor at flood stage. That's abundant. So, so how's it going? Is, would you describe your life that way? And if not, it's okay. Like today is the best day in the world. Easter of all days to say, I don't know. I, I, I mean, God is good. He is great. I know he loves me. There's all of this stuff that really is true. But I don't know that my life is abundant right now. 
Now, abundance doesn't mean painless. It doesn't mean perfect. And it doesn't mean materially prosperous. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual abundance. An abundant life is never uh, imposed upon us. It's just made available. It's offered. So Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life isn't worldly success. Biblically understood, it is a byproduct of spiritual rebirth and then spiritual growth. So now we're starting to get near some criteria for your answer to my question. Have you been reborn? That's the most important question you could ever answer. But, but then, have you been growing? Is your life in Christ growing? Live things grow. They don't just stay the same. They don't wither and die. They bear fruit. The theological words for these two things, rebirth and growth, justification on the one hand, conversion when we enter into a relationship with God, and then sanctification, this lifelong process of growth and change. And that is often, that sanctification growth part of the equation, that's usually hindered by people who come into a relationship with God by grace, through faith. They are converted. They have righteousness before God. And then they go on from there without any guidance, without any follow-up, without any instruction. They're not discipled. They're not shown how to walk. They're just... They're just kind of said, well, all right, you're good. I mean, like imagine a labor and delivery room where, you know, once the baby is out, it's like, all right, good luck with that. What kind of place would that be? The church does it all the time. Eugene Peterson says uh, one of the major flaws of the American church is that birth has been given more attention than growth. It's not that birth isn't important. It's that that's just the beginning. So this idea of abundance, that's, that's an ideal. And what we're trying to get at this morning is the real. So how's it going? How are you doing? I'm not asking how you're performing. And I'm not asking about your circumstances. I'm asking about your heart. You might think back to last Easter. That might be helpful. Like, where were you last Easter? What was going on? What did you believe? What was hard? What was great? Were you bearing fruit? Were you struggling? I did think of this. If you're not a Christian here today, then what a great question to be thinking about. So that how you're, how you're doing doesn't have to do with 
what you have in the bank or the house that you live in or the car that you drive or the clothes that you wear or the friends that you have and all that stuff that all just blows away. But, but what do you have that's going to last forever? Has life been what you expected or is it somehow falling short? You know, some people come to this place and maybe you could be here today where you just, you just realize what I expected of the Christian life isn't really turning out like I thought it would. Or I'm not where I thought I would be. Have you all felt that before? I, I still feel that sometimes. Where I'm just thinking, my goodness gracious, like I turned 50 this year. Seems like I ought to be way further down the road than I am. That can be discouraging, even disillusioning. You know, there's people who leave the church and they leave because it isn't all that they thought it was supposed to be. Which is kind of funny, like a room full of broken people <laughs> who need grace. It's just not what I thought it would be. Here's what I want you to do. On your outline, I've got two words there. Abundant life and stagnant experience. And I realize you could be anywhere in between, but I want you to circle one of those this morning. How's it going? Abundant life or stagnant experience? For the next four weeks, and we're beginning today, we're going to look at how to go after abundant life. To walk the path of life. To pursue growth and change as a way of life. And biblically, there's no better way to live. You'll never find anything anywhere on earth that even begins to compare with the abundant life that Christ offers. The path is what we're celebrating today, this weekend, or Easter. It's death, burial, resurrection. You don't get to abundant life any other way. Death, burial, resurrection. Every time, death, burial, resurrection. And it's over and over and over again. Conversion, certainly, there is this moment in time when you finally say, I can't do this for myself, Jesus. I need you to pay for my sin. I need you to stand in my place. I'm asking you to forgive me, not because of my performance, but because of yours. And when you ask, he says yes every time. And you enter into eternal life with the option of abundant life. And then for the rest of your life, death, burial, resurrection. Over and over again. And if you'll stay at it, you will mature. You'll come to the end of your life and it will bear so much fruit. And it won't be something you beat your chest about. It's not something that you, you uh, bring attention to yourself. You'll just say again and again, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for doing this in my life and through my life. Let me read you a passage that describes this pathway. Romans 6, 
1 through 13. I'm going to give you several different scriptures to think about this morning, but this is where we begin to see some of what I'm talking about. Um, Paul writes, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus or identified with Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death? There's the first part. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There it is. Death, burial, resurrection. We had to die to ourselves. We had to be buried, spiritually speaking, with Christ so that we could be raised to walk in newness of life, abundant life. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings uh, to us so closely. That's the death and the burial. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Colossians 3, 5 through 10. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now... Now that you have been born again, now that there's been rebirth, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's the path of life and it's characterized by death burial and resurrection and in this series what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at what it takes to travel this transformational path certainly it's going to take the grace of God so we'll all acknowledge that on the front end. We'll probably say it again and again. But there are some very practical things that all of us can be doing as a community of faith so that we move forward along this path. It's a path of change. And I don't know many people who love change. They love the benefits of change. But change all by itself is pretty tough. But here's what it takes to walk this path. And here are the five weeks that we'll be covering. First is the power to change. That's what we're going to talk about today. Secondly, we're going to talk about the ingredients of change. Like what, what needs to be in place so that I can actually change. An environment for change. Week three. And this is it. We're going to talk about the details of it. But community. The environment for change. Week four, we're going to talk about the need for change. Just make a little note. We'll come back to it in a few weeks. No one matures beyond the need for growth and change. No one ever. 
More on that in a few weeks. And then lastly, we're going to talk about a practical, biblical plan for change that we can all follow. Now, here's something we've got to understand coming into this. This pathway is one that is active, not passive. So this work that God is doing, it doesn't happen to us. It's an invitation for us. So in other words, this offer of abundant life is put out there. Jesus Christ is actively working on our behalf and he's inviting us to partner with him in the process of life change, the process of sanctification. So we're given that over and over and over again. It's a collaborative project. It's our response to God's initiative. He goes first, but then we respond to him. Now this morning we're going to look at the first provision that God makes for this path, and that is power. The power to change. John 15, you might just jot this down. Uh, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? Say, I say that one more time because I'm not sure I quite understood what you said. Nothing. Yeah, nothing. Not a little bit. Not a lot. Not on good days. Not when everything's going great. Not when your circumstances are just what you like. Not when you're just feeling extra gritty. Not when you've got just a ton of determination. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. When you and I get to the place where we really accept that and embrace it as a reality, it's amazing what God can do. Because we get out of the way and the power of God begins to do what it was created to do in us and through us. I want to highlight two, uh, two passages that uh, really highlight Paul's understanding of this power. The first is in Ephesians 1, uh, 15 through 21. Let me read this to you. Paul is giving thanksgiving and he's praying for the church in Ephesus. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, here's the content of his prayer, the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, this is God's initiative, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to what? Like, what? What kind of power is he talking about here? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead, the very thing we're celebrating today. That's the kind of power that Paul is praying we would experience, that we would be aware of, that we would receive. That power 
raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. That is matchless power. So there's nothing in your life, nothing in your experience, nothing in your circumstances, nothing in your story that even begins to approach the magnitude of the power that Paul is praying has already been exerted on our behalf. Right? That's not something that we're waiting for. It's been done. Jesus has risen. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. That power is accessible to you and to me in everyday life. I love that. It's the standard for power in our New Testament. And Paul is praying that we would really grasp that we are the beneficiaries of that power. And that God loves to exercise that power on our behalf. Do you believe that? I, I don't think you and I will really approach abundant life without understanding this power that God is exerting on our behalf. Paul certainly wanted to understand this. It, it was the aim of his life. Listen to this in Philippians 3. Beginning in verse 8, he says, For Christ's sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. So he was looking at himself, his pedigree, his resume, his story, all of his accolades, all that kind of, he was looking at all of that and he's saying, I look at that and it's like a pile of dung. How could he do that? How could he possibly see all of that that way? He says, I do that so that, for the purpose of, that I may know him, that is Christ. That's why I look at all that that way. Because I'm all about, I want to know Christ. Not my, not my resume. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. And that I might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That is the core aim of Paul's life. He wants to know Christ and then he explains what he means by that. To know Christ is to know his resurrection and all that that represents and to know his suffering and all that that represents. Remember the path, death, burial, resurrection. That leads to abundant life. And that's what Paul wants to know about. And by know here, it's not just an intellectual thing. That word literally means to be united with. So he wants to be united with Christ in his understanding of him. He wants to be united with the power of his resurrection as a way of life. 
And then this is the most amazing thing of all. He wants to be united, share in his sufferings. Now, why would he want that? Like, I'm great with the first two things. Because that is where God's power shows up. That is where the beauty of what God can do that man cannot do, that's where it is put on display. And he wants to see it in his life and through his life. So he's okay with weakness. And and I want you to remember, not just Paul, but all the apostles, remember where the resurrected Christ found them. And this is after three years, except for Paul. But remember the 11, right? They've been with Jesus for three years. They've seen miracles and everything under the sun, heard these great sermons and teaching and everything. And then what happens when he gets arrested? Where do they go? They run away. And I would have too. He's being crucified. Where are they? I guess they might be off in the distance. They didn't have binoculars back then, but they're probably just going. He's probably one of those three. And then even when he shows up, they're still struggling with doubt. Still wondering, is this what I thought it was going to be? You know, Jesus said he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Is this it? Like us running for our lives, being terrorized? Is that, is that the abundant life? And Jesus says, absolutely. Because my power, where is it perfected? In weakness. You know, I think about my story. I can relate to these guys. I came to Christ in 1982 at a, at a summer camp in Colorado with Young Life. Unbelievable experience. It, like I was reading through the Gospels and I was thinking, that's like the triumphal entry. <laughs> when everybody's shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! The king has arrived! We're taking over! That's what the disciples were thinking. So they're all for that. And I came to Christ and I thought, man, life is going to be awesome all the time. It's going to be better than I even ever hoped it would be, circumstantially. I'm going to get everything I want. You know, a year later, it's my greatest, my greatest regret in life. Is I came this close to just punting it all. Because I was so reliant upon me. And so focused on satisfying me. Christianity was all about me. And I came to one of the lowest places of my whole life and thank God as I finally saw my potential apart from him. And I did it very imperfectly and I've had plenty of ups and downs over the years but I, I, I said, Lord, I need your power not my own and he's been working that out for a few decades God can change those apostles he can change 
Paul, if he can change me, he can change you. I want to finish with a great, great word of encouragement as we enter into this season, this new season that we have. It's in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. And I love the fact that Peter wrote this, the denier. <laughs> this is awesome. I wonder if he sometimes was writing and thinking, I I'm really writing this. And I was that guy. I heard that rooster crow. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That sounds abundant, doesn't it? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the place where his power was put on display in its fullest sense, We were born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, for you, for me, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know what we're celebrating today and this weekend this isn't sentimentalism. That's not going to cut it. That's not going to change anybody. The power of God revealed in the, in the resurrection is essential. Without it, we have no hope. Graham Scroggie says this, too many Christians live on the right side of Easter but the wrong side of Pentecost. The right side of pardon, but the wrong side of power. The right side of forgiveness, but the wrong side of fellowship. They are out of Egypt, but have not reached the land of promise and blessing. They are still wandering about in the wilderness of frustration and dissatisfaction. <coughs> if Christ has risen, and he has, then there is no need to wander. There's a path to follow. Death, burial, and resurrection. And that path will lead you and me again and again to abundant life. So I want to ask you, I want to kind of give you a so what this morning, if you'd be willing I want to ask you to pray from today till the end of this series, four weeks from now. I want you to pray along the lines of what Paul said, that you might know Christ, that you might know, be identified with the power of the resurrection. And the most terrifying thing of all, that you might even share in his suffering so that you might see his power brought to bear on your life, living in the weakness of mortality. 
give you an opportunity. Just do some business with God. And it may even be that you say, Lord, I don't know if I'm ready to pray that prayer, but help me be ready to pray that prayer. Like, I want to want to. But spend some time uh, just talking to the Lord, listening to his spirit. How does he want you to respond to this precious gift of power that he offers to you today? Take a moment. Jesus, this is a glorious day as we sing, as we remember your powerful resurrection. And uh, Father, I pray that you would make that as real as it could possibly be to every single person in this room. I pray that we could walk in newness of life. We need your help. Thank you for your word, your spirit, your people. You've given us everything we need. Your divine power has granted to us everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness. So Lord, help us to access all of those precious gifts of grace so that we might walk closely with you until you return and truly make all things new once and for all. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.